1: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Slaven Bilic
2: to my Rob Edwards. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. Didn't enjoy the football yesterday. Obviously losing at home to Port Vale in League One is always sobering as a, as a Derby supporter, but that's the reality uh, that I live in at the minute.
1: It's the reality that you live in. That last season you were playing against the likes of Alexander Maturity, etc. <laughs> and now you're playing Port Vale and losing to them mm-hmm. at home. Uh, just quickly, what time did you get to the game yesterday? Uh, 10 past three. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. On the show this week, we're joined by Johnny Bullock from the Middlesbrough podcast, The Borough Breakdown.
3: Johnny, how's it going? Yeah, very well. Thank you, guys. Um, given that everything seems to be quite bleak for Borough at the moment, I'm actually doing reasonably well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Spain, sangria, and sunshine—I think—is probably going to be words to describe how I'm feeling. I think.
1: <laughs> Good to hear. And yeah. making his second-tier debut from West Brom fan TV, it's Connor
4: Ashfield. Connor, how are you? Awful, to be honest. I'm still wondering how Steve Bruce is still in charge of my football club. To be fair, but other than that, personally, I'm fine. It's just West Brom—they're just getting on my nerves—and Steve Bruce is getting on my nerves. But what can we do?
1: I'll let you know, Connor, that you're not the only person in the world right now who's wondering how Steve Bruce has still got a job in football management right now. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games in the championship from the past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. So the pressure remains on Steve Bruce at West Brom. They drew 0-0 at home to Luton, but it means just one win from 13 games how was it on Saturday Connor
4: oh oh my god to be it's it's oh man I don't even know where to begin like I could sit here for like a couple of hours and just talk about how bad it's been like yesterday we started off quite bright actually which I was quite surprised about um the first 10-15 minutes I thought we played well but after that the game just got flatter and flatter Bruce's substitutions were pathetic as, you know, as well as his management. He's just an absolute dinosaur of a manager. And, you know, I, th- I think personally he's only there for his payout now. He's, he knows that he's failing. He just wants a big a, a big payout so him and his son can go on holiday. I just, I hate them both, to be honest, personally. Um, and I don't normally hate football managers, but... He's just toxic. He's making this club so toxic. It's unbelievable. He did it at Newcastle. Um, I don't know how the guy still gets a job in football management. If this was me at work and I was underperforming like he was, I'd I'd have been sacked a long time ago. Um, and all West Brom can do is put out posts about energy drinks. No one cares. Just sack the guy. Like uh, the, the only problem is it's not just his fault. Um, there's a lot of stuff with the ownership as well. Um, you know, Gu Chan Lai, he's took out like ten million, maybe more from the club, um, t- to make his businesses better. And he doesn't give a crap about Albion. All he cares about is is the fact that he can say to his mates back in China that he owns a football club. Um, that's why he's took out all that money. He's he's not gonna pay it back. We're skint at the minute. And I think this is why we're not getting rid of him, because we don't have the money to get rid of him. And number two, Ron Ron is good friends with Steve Bruce, but If they've got any care about this football club, Steve Bruce, for me, had to go last night. He didn't go. He should have gone weeks ago for me. Why don't you say how you really feel, Connor? Um,
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't want to waste too much time talking about the Steve Bruce situation because it's just difficult to give any reason why he should be at the club now, really, isn't it? So we'll we'll just leave that there because it, it just seems like it's a matter of when not if he gets sacked. But I did want to ask you a bit about how the club's being run, because we have plenty of messages from Albion fans talking about how things are going on behind the scenes. So give give us a bit more about why the supporters aren't happy about that.
4: Well, uh, when he first arrived at the club, everyone thought it was, you know, the look to people always do it, on there. they? The look at people, how much they're worth and stuff. And, you know, he was in the I think he's billionaire category. I don't know if he's actually a billionaire himself, but from his assets and everything, he's like a he's a multi-billionaire and you know he brought he brought everyone a beer the first game. Everyone thought, oh, this is great. We've finally got a chairman who cares. Um and then he just he, he shows no interest. He's not bothered about the club. Like I said earlier, he's just bothered about showing off to his mates that he owns a, a football club back in China. Because back in China, that's like a, a big thing. And, you know, we've been in the Premier League and stuff like that. So it was it was decent for him to, to have West Brom as one of his uh, businesses. But it's poorly run. You know, he's took out money from our club. Uh, he's loaned it to himself. And just to fund his other businesses. And, you know, he's never at games. He's always absent. He doesn't actually know what's going on. And it's been run by... You know, Ron Gawley mainly, and his decisions are just absolutely awful. You know, Ishmael, he got sacked for less than Steve Bruce did, and I didn't particularly like Valerian Ishmael in the end. You know, it turned really bad, the football. But under Steve Bruce, it's just a, it's it's another level. But I blame the ownership for, for all this, to be honest, the the majority of it. I blame it 50 per... Well, yeah, 50 per cent Ron Gawley and... Uh, Guchan Lai, 25% Steve Bruce and 25% the players because it's just rotten from top to bottom.
1: Quick word on Luton, Justin, unbeaten in nine.
2: Probably should have had more wins in that run, but nonetheless, they're moving in the right direction, aren't they? Yeah, they are, and it's they're starting to keep clean sheets and starting to convert chances. I know the West Brom game was, was a nil-nil draw, but on reflection, it was, probably, it was probably a decent result for Luton. They're going away to the Hawthorns, and I know... West Brom are massively underperforming at the minute, but they still create an abundance of chances and they still got an abundance of good players. Um, so to go away and get a nil-nil draw, um, I think they'll take that back to Road quite happily. Um, and yeah, and build upon it because as I say, they're, they're starting to become a solid side. Um, and as well as that, everything's moving forwards, uh, going forwards as well, which is a massive positive.
1: Millwall two, Middlesbrough nil, a double from Zion Fleming gave the Lions their second win in five games. Burra though, just three wins this season and still managerless at the time of recording. What was your reaction
3: to this result, Johnny? Oh, disappointing, like really disappointing. Um, we were poor yesterday. Like, like when Ben say poor, like really bad, like awful. Um, like, I think we've been, I think you said at the start of the season, well, probably prior to the Sunland game, I would say Burra, unlucky. We've been like, it's fine margins. In fact, we should have finished games off when we didn't. But since that Sunderland game, we've been absolutely horrendous, and it's just followed through um, to all the way to this game as well. And I think we gave away sloppy goals. The first one's a big deflection, of course, and Stefan has no chance, and the second one's just it's worse than schoolboy defending, to be honest. And Millwall did really well, had a good low block, made it really difficult for us to, to break them down, won the second balls really well. The crowd got in, got involved with, with them as they started to progress the player, and their second goal just just killed us off, and we were never going to score. It doesn't it, it could still be playing now? And we were never going to score. Simon so Fleming, Justin, we were joking about the number of shots
1: he's had and the lack of goals he's scored, but he's now got three in his last two games for Millwall after joining in the summer, and he's starting to look like a serious player for them, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he's, he's shown glimpses pretty much all season, but now he's starting to get the goals. Um, it's a massive, massive positive. Um, and he's just he's just showing that he's, he's got the confidence and ability to thrive at this level. He could really become, um, I don't know, a, a £20 million player if things go really well for him. Uh, I mean, Jed Wallace, when you talk about the fees that were quoted for him, no one really paid it. Um, but if, if Zian Fleming has a good season... Um, and, and builds upon these performances and starts getting the goals and starts converting more of his chances that he creates for himself because he has to create those chances for himself because Millwall have been a little bit limited going forwards at times. Um, I mean, if you look at his second goal um in particular, he found himself in acres of space. It takes good players to to go out and find those those um th- those 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 spaces. Um but if he keeps building on these performances, yeah, he could easily become a 20 million pound player for Millwall. And that's probably why they invested the money they in him.
1: Let's talk Boba's search for a manager, Johnny. The latest word on the street is Michael Carrick being linked with the job. What do you think of that one?
3: Yeah, he was, he was one of my choices, to be honest, uh, him and Rob Edwards. And, you know, he's got a really good pedigree, Michael Carrick. You know, he's worked under Sir Alex, Jose, Van Gaal and Ollie as well, if you want to really count that um, as a good manager but um, excellent footballer you know you always used to see the game uh, really well in midfield find space how to penetrate and also try to distribute play really well so if you can take that it was management um, I think it's rumored that it was Mike Phelan and Rennie Mullenstein was going to be the assistants coming in so that would be like a really solid coaching team and whether we were to do that that would be a different story but Boris history prove that Brian Robson, former Manchester United player, good pedigree, came manager. Steve McLaren, und, assistant uh, under Sir Alex, came as manager. Uh, Karanga under Jose Mourinho, came a good manager. So we've got a good history of bringing these type of managers through. So it's a good appointment if we can do it. But also, Rod Edwards is, is still a really good coach as well. Really good foundation in terms of England coaching, Wolves coaching on Telfords. But then also Watford is kind of a, a poison chalice, isn't it? So, I mean, you can't really... Look at that too much. So, another good name as well. But yeah, Carrick's a, a, a decent name, but it's going to take a lot for Borough fans to get on sides for any manager, I think. Now it's in the in the market. Well, you, you mentioned Carrick,
1: you mentioned Edwards. If it's not Carrick, who else would you go for? Would you go for Edwards, or is there someone else who you'd favour?
3: Yeah, I think Edwards would be my personal pick. You know, Carlos carron is, is also another name mentioned. Um I think he's very pragmatic and flexible as a manager. He showed that at Huddersfield and can play multiple styles and adjust to the players and the game demands. So that is a very, very good coach to potentially bring in. Um but I think for me, Rob Edwards, he fits the mold. He's worked with Kieran Scott in the past and it just makes sense that he ticks that he ticks the boxes and he can grow as a manager as the club grows once again.
1: Johnny and Connor, cheers for now. We'll be back with you later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Justin and I, though, are heading around the grounds, and we'll begin with Watford. Oh, Watford. They lost 3-1 away at Blackpool, and Slavon Bilic has now lost as many games in charge as Rob Edwards. He's only been there for three games. Mike Duffy is from the Watford podcast, Voices of the Vic. Mike, what's your reaction to this result?
0: You could probably save this voice clip for the... Rest of the weeks, you know, next week, the week after that, you, you get you get my drift. Um, it's just the same week in week out. Billich's first game, we win four nil against Stoke. We think, oh, you know, that's great. Admittedly, admittedly, Stoke were very poor, but to win four 0 we thought, oh, things are turning. The players want to play for the manager now. Uh, yeah, that's not the case, unfortunately, as we've seen against uh, Swansea midweek, lacklustre lack of fight no passion the same problems that were sprouting up in the premier league last season um it's basically the players don't want to play for the badge it's as simple as that no fight whatsoever and you 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 often wonder why you bother watching when the players aren't as asked as as the fans that are watching so yeah really frustrating game yesterday and um embarrassing is a word i'd use
1: So it sounds like, Mike, you're not blaming Billich. You're not blaming Edwards previously. You're saying it's down to the players you've got available to you now.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You know, Edwards only could work with what he had. Billich has got the same group of players that Edwards did. Yeah, you hear about new manager bounces, and I think that 4-0 win at Stoke was possibly our new manager bounce. But it's back to the old ways. It's the players on the pitch who aren't doing their job. And Mr Potso and co have had all of the summer to realise how poor we were last season and get the correct players in, but yet again, for another transfer window, we've not done it. I remember the last time, one of the last times I was on this podcast, we'd just been promoted and I said that, providing we get recruitment right, then I could see us staying in the Premier League. And for a a few seasons. And I'll tell you what, that's backfired on me because we did not get the recruitment right. And ultimately, it is down to the people at the top of the table not getting recruitment right yet again.
1: And that brings me nicely, Mike, onto the Pozzos who have done a lot of good for the club over many years. But are you saying that you think it's finally time
0: for a change? Yeah, lots of people are being Pozzo out and, you know, Those fans will will probably tell you as well that they are thankful for the things that the Potsos have done for the club because they have done a lot for Watford Football Club. You know, before they come in, we were a mess and they've sorted us out. uh, Well, they they sorted us out to start with. But what I've said is that where football has evolved, we have stayed still. You know, we've, we've not evolved and changed with the times like football has. So what they were doing to start with, when they first come in, it was working. But they're still relying on the same old methods and it's not working. Uh, they just seem reluctant to, to change anything and, and to, to make the right decisions and to recruit the right players, spend the money. We're now seeing what Udinese fans have been seeing for the last three or four years. Whether they sell up completely or whether they just get a majority shareholder in like West Ham, Southampton have done, I, I think that's probably the best way forward. Cheers Mike.
1: Yeah, Justin Watford were easily second best here. Only one team looked like winning in that second half, didn't they?
2: Yeah, absolutely. They Watford were incredibly poor. I don't know I don't know how else to sort of um paint a, a nicer picture of their performance against Blackpool. They were second best to a to a team whose budget is is dwarfed by Watford's. Um there was a lack of quality, there was a lack of ownership, There was a lack of leadership, there was a lack of um uh, a defensive, um, just defence actually, um, the, the the goals that Blackpool scored, it, they made it very easy for them um, and yeah, I don't think there's any way of sugarcoating this, the, there are issues at Watford that go way beyond changing a manager, the squad isn't good enough, um, it needed investing in the summer, they didn't really do that, the, uh, the Watford hierarchy and now they're paying the dividends of it. This this team, as I said, had more more problems than Rob Edwards. So many more problems than Rob Edwards.
1: Yeah, you're coming up against a Blackpool team who had picked up just one point from the last four games, and I hadn't even considered the, you know, the contrast in the wages, how much yeah. each of these players cost, and it's quite startling how minimal a contest this actually was. Going forwards, they offered very little. The goal came from a wonderful free kick by Imran Lauer, and he was left with the burden of creating anything for this Watford team. Why is a promotion-chasing side like Watford playing two ball winners in midfield against a struggling Blackpool team? I cannot understand that for the life of me. But defensively, it's poor as well. Dan Gosling's playing at right back. How has it come to this? They let Kiko Femenia go in the summer and they've been left with a centre mid, an ageing centre mid at that, a very average ageing sentiment at that, playing <laughs> right back. So I just don't understand how it's got to that. And then Trista Kong was made to look like a Sunday league defender for Blackpool's third goal. It was a game which really showed how much of a task Slavin Bilic has got on his hands. And I think it's going to be him running into the same problems that Rob Edwards did just because they've got talented players, of course they have. But there's glaring, Grand Canyon-sized holes in this team, which is why I don't think Bilic can really take a large chunk of the blame here. He's got to work with what he's got but even then, being easily second best for a struggling Blackpool side not a good look is it in your third game in charge?
2: No, it isn't and um, this is why I said that they they it seems like they just picked Billich's name out of a hat with any little research because if research went into it, they'd find a manager who was able to put together a, a team that was capable of playing with players um, in the way that Watford are cur- currently going to Could any any manager do that though, Justin? I I think Bilic (laughs) could do that because it was a
1: similar kind of setup to what he had at West Brom. But now even he's struggling.
2: Yeah, but you don't have the the, the ball progressor that you have in Romain Soys, for example. You don't have the composed ball-playing defenders at the time that West Brom did either. Um, And they, they lack that... Spark um, without Charles Pedro going forward as well. Um, I know Imran Nas is a fantastic player. He really is. He he he's carrying the burden, as you say, of, of making Watford tick. Um, and that shouldn't be the case. There's enough quality in that team in the attacking third anyway to to, to be a lot better. But they just lack like controlling games. They lack discipline. Um, and as I say, they lack leadership and ownership, which goes more down to the players than it does the the managers.
1: I think there's just a big contrast in quality between the very good players, the likes of Pedro Sar, and then some of the other players in this team. As you're looking yeah. at the defenders, the likes of Tru Kong, Dan Gosling, etc. These players who may look like big names on paper and have had success in the past, but in actual fact, aren't actually good enough, really, to be part playing week in, week out in a... Uh, Watford team really Uh, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing here I I don't mean to sound disrespectful to Blackford Justin after all we've said there about them struggling we should give them credit they only had 26% possession in this game so for them to be
2: much the better side is quite strange really isn't it it is but I think it just highlights the quality that um, Appleton has and He's not a manager who will put out teams to enjoy possession by any means, um, but he sets them up really well. He sets them up uh, to be difficult to beat, and he allows his um, creative players to, or his attacking players, to thrive. And you saw with Jerry Hates, for example, playing out wide. It was, it was it was a very good player. He uh, was a very good performer in this game. Um, and as well as that, I think the the partnership effect, Peteta and Thornley in this game as well, handled everything Watford threw at them, albeit it wasn't that much. But they looked very comfortable. And actually, I think the, the introduction of Liam Bridcut. Coming on at half time was really important for Blackpool because that brought an element of control into Blackpool's play, which allowed them to to give the the more attacking players a lot more freedom. Um, which is why they they, they seem to get better throughout the game. Um, and I just don't think Watford had an answer to it. Um, and as I say, they've got good players. Theo, uh, Theo Corbiano as well was was really good. Um, and the fact that he's he's still not really got going on, I don't think I think it's a yeah worrying thing for opposition players.
1: Yeah. Both of Yates' goals were nicely taken. That was his first brace at Championship level as well. I really like what I saw of young Charlie petino in midfield. CJ Hamilton was lively when he came on. It was just much better from Blackpool after a tough few weeks, wasn't it? They've got Sheffield United away next week, which is a tough old game. Speaking of, Sheffield United's sticky patch is seemingly getting stickier. They lost 3-1 away at Stoke. A goal and an assist from former Blade Phil Jagielka, of all people. I think that's his first goal. In something like three years now, as well, and of course it
2: came against his old team. Another game,
1: Justin, where Sheffield United struggled.
2: Yeah, they looked off it. They looked off it. Um, they lacked energy. Credit to, to Stoke with with how they how they were set up, and I think that's what really edged it was the fact that they were able to run a bit harder for longer um, the Sheffield United and as well as that I think the four at the back exposed them quite a lot especially in wide areas because Stoke went four at the back as well and matched them up um, and if, you've, if you're matching them up and you're um, probably slightly ahead in terms of um, fitness and, and 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 squad rotation you're probably going to come out better um, and I just think yeah Sheffield United were made to look to made to look to, to be like a, very much an average team um, in this game and as you say you, you're coming up against a Stoke team who haven't really been in form at all this season Um, and I think it's going to tick at some point for Alex Neal's side um, and for Alex Neal, but for Sheffield United to to go away to to the Bet365 and put in that sort of performance. said it midweek, it's a bit of a worry. They're missing a lot of players, having to change formation, having to go away from what they're very, very good at. um, They're having to adapt, and that's not an ideal thing at this point in the season for, for a team chasing promotion.
1: Yeah, Sheffield United did have a couple of decent chances, but Stoke were simply the better side. And after going behind, Sheffield United's answer was just to wang in hopeful balls into the box, none of which caused any serious problems for the Stoke defence. So after going 10 games unbeaten, Sheffield United have now lost twice in the same (laughs) week. For me, Justin, I, I struggle really to find anything else to blame apart from this ongoing injury crisis. By my count, 11 senior players were missing for this game. Sheffield United have a lot of squad depth, but... When you have an injury crisis, as ridiculous as theirs, it's bound to cause problems. And they've got to uh, they've had to completely change formation to go to four at the back, which is not what Paul Heckingbottom wants to do. We were saying in the week that Jaden Bogle, a right wing back, was having to fill in on the left, Well, he's now injured, and so is their other right wing back in George Bordock. So not only did they have no left wing backs, they've also got no right wing backs now. So they had to play young Kyron Gordon there instead. And we were saying a few weeks ago how impressive their bench was, because they had <laughs> a bench that was full of players who would get into the vast majority of championship sides. Mm-hmm. But this week, they only had four they, they had four teenagers on there instead. So this is all without even mentioning how they're missing three of the best players in the division this season, in Ahmed Dozovic, uh, Berger and McBurney, all now missing. So you can have all the squad depth in the world, but you can't compensate for this number of injuries. It's just ridiculous, and that's what's really hindered them. There may be other factors involved as well, but I, I struggle to see past this massive gluttony of injuries that they've had. But loads of positives from Stoke for this game, which makes a nice change. Liam Delap got the first league goal of his career. He's struggled a bit in his time at Stoke thus far, but uh, that was a good way to get off the mark. Lewis Baker had a really good game as well. The player who really caught my eye was Tarek Fosu, Justin, who caused Sheffield mm-hmm. United all sorts of problems all game and was really unlucky to knock get on the score sheet. He hit the woodwork with one effort and then nearly scored goal of the season. Volley outside the box, which was like an arrow before it was blocked on the line. If that went in, it would have been remarkable. But he was great. He's been a real live wire for Stoke in recent weeks, despite results not being ideal. But he was a really good player at Brentford once. He, he played 39 games when they got promoted for crying out loud. So I expect him to continue to be a really dangerous player for Stoke over the coming weeks and I'm excited to see more of him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um and unsurprisingly his best position isn't wing back. Um he's a he's an attacking player. He likes to get at defenders and he likes to link up with forwards. And if you've got a, a front three of um, let's say Liam Delap, you know, good number nine, um whose all round game is very good, Tyrese Campbell, who we know if he gets up to form, and he plays the way we know he can play in a front three, then again, that is a, a very time to play. And then you've got Foss who is incredibly direct. There's a lot of opportunities there. And it's one that I think Alex Neal has to probably a little be a little bit braver when picking his teams. Um, because as I say, I, that that front three is, is a frightening prospect for a lot of teams. And as I say, if you can get them playing and in form, they're going to score and create goals. And they did in this game, Um Campbell got an assist, still lap scored, and Fossey was a menace all game. Um, so there's there's um, plenty of potential there. Just be a bit braver. Let's do it, Alex. Come on.
1: Speaking of a bit braver, Preston have
2: scored more than one goal, just in.
1: Hooray! In fact, they nearly matched their tolly for the whole season in this one game alone after beating Norwich 3-2. But for the Canaries, it's their first loss in 10 games. Norwich had so many chances in the first 20 minutes. They honestly could have been 3-0 up in that time but then Preston got back into the game through Emil Reese, and Norwich took the foot off the accelerator and it wasn't until Preston scored again that they pulled the finger out but then Norwich equalised and Preston went back ahead soon afterwards and I suppose that gives even more credence to your comment of the week Justin about Norwich not being a team who plays well for the entire 90 minutes.
2: Yeah I did see a comment saying that no team is a 90 minute team which I think is fair but a 90 minute team is not necessarily playing full throttle for 90 minutes. It's managing the game. It's managing key moments um, and ensuring that you're not giving away chances ensuring teams aren't opening you up. Um, so actually yeah it's, I think it's a fair assessment to, to suggest that Norwich aren't a 90 minute team and was, you broke it down quite nicely there as well. Um, and I think what adds to that even more is, is the fact that in the first 20 minutes Preston, uh, sorry, Norwich could have been two or three up but um, Obviously, they had the first the first goal in the first five minutes, but they failed to take the chances after that. And quite rightly, you said they took the foot off the gas, allowed Preston into the game, and complacency starts to set in. You start to think, okay, we've got the quality to get past this Preston team. We'll, we'll use it. However many they score, we'll, we'll score more. Um, and that's what it felt like at times in this game. Um, and as and as I say, um, three sloppy goals they conceded. They they did hand Preston three goals. Although Preston, okay, you know, scored three goals for the first time this season don't think they'll score easier goals than that Um, and I think that's why Dean Smith was so irate after the game is the fact that they just felt like they had to um, press in the win um, and they didn't need to and it's just that complacency that sets in that doesn't make them a 90 minute team well they
1: probably could they probably created more chances in that first 20 minutes than they did in the entirety Mm -hmm. of the remainder of the game didn't they and sure no team is a 90 minute team where they play consistently well apart from you know the top teams like your cities and etc But Norwich, on more than one occasion this season, when I've seen them, they have really good periods for about probably about 20 minutes. And that has seen them over the line on various occasions. But then quite often, the drop off in intensity that we see in the other chapters of the game is quite alarming. So I think it's definitely something Dean Smith needs to work on. um, Because when they're very good, they're very good. But. When they're, they're off it a bit, like we have seen more recently, then that's where the cause for concern is. Is worth saying, Norwich had a goal just allowed late in this game. Kenny McLean scored from outside the ro- mm. outside the box, but the ref blew up for a bit of argy-bargy in the Preston
2: area. It seemed very harsh, Justin. Yeah, yeah, it was a strange one, really strange one. Um, I've watched the replay two or three times, and I can't think why... The referees just dis- disallowed it. It's um, a bizarre decision, and not really seen too much explanation of it either. It's gone. It's gone. Um, it's gone away quietly. It seems. Um, I'd be very frustrated if I was associated with Norwich. Considering it came at such an important
1: part of the game as well, I'm surprised that I haven't seen more spoken mm. about it because it was such an innocuous kind of thing, wasn't it? So an amazingly bizarre decision for that to be chalked off when it could have. Well, more than likely would have won Norwich a point that late in the game. Um, To be fair to the ref, he was blowing up pretty much as Kenny McLean hit it. And the Preston defenders may have made an excuse that they wouldn't have gone for it as much if the referee hadn't blown his whistle. And also Norwich should have had a man sent off in the first half after Simon Byron hashed down one of the the Preston players. But uh, nonetheless, Gabriel Sarra got his first goal in the Norwich shirt, the £6 million new signing from Brazil. His first real bright spark we've seen of him so far. So hopefully there's more to come from him there. What a result for Preston though, Justin. They've been ridiculed recently for their low-scoring games. But this was a bit more of what we were expecting under North End with Ryan Lowe in charge, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, Ryan Lowe said before the game that he wanted to set a marker down to the rest of the Championship. Um, and I think he did that. I think he's shown what Preston are capable of. Um, albeit, OK, they didn't create as many chances as you usually do, and Norwich created a hell of a lot of chances and Preston had to ride the look at times. But if you consider the fact they have gone away to Carrow Road, scored three goals, yeah, Norwich gave them a couple. Um, but nonetheless, they, they were still they still managed the game well. They still took their chances when they needed to. And that's not something we've been able to say about Preston at all this season. Um, so it's a it's a massive, massive positive and completely agree with Ryan Lowe. I think this is a sort of game that should make the division stand up and think if Preston can, can play like that and take the chances like that in in more games more often, then they could easily be a playoff contender. But I just don't think they have that consistency in them at the moment. And it might take them a season to get to it, but... As I say, I just think that's a, a very good marker for, for this pressing team and what they're capable of and should make quite a few um, stand up and go, OK, these are decent.
1: Well, of course, if they concede as few goals as they do and then they actually score some of the chances that they're presented with, then of course they're going to be higher up on the table. I, I think that's a pretty obvious statement to make, Ryan. Um, Troy Parrott <laughs> got his first goal of the season previously he'd been the player to have had the most shots in the division and yet to have scored so that would have been a relief for him although it did make me laugh that he's been so unlucky in front of goal (laughs) and the first time he does score he goes down injured for some reason as soon as it goes in sick as a parrot um the (sighs) great Dane emil reese jakobsen was the main man though just in scoring two goals here basically the only two chances he had in the game as well And he looks as if he's got that taste for goals again, which is massive for Preston in set. He's a wonderfully talented striker, capable of scoring all sorts of goals, whether it be headers, volleys, from distance. And he seems to be the kind of striker who scores five in five games and then is quiet for the next five or ten games. That's not necessarily a criticism, as long as he ends up with a decent tally by the end of the season. I don't think you can point fingers at him. But without a doubt, Preston needs him to be informed, don't they? Because... Goals has been a problem. I think that's fairly obvious. And if he sustains his form and Preston continue to keep it tight at the back, who knows how far we'll get them. Right, Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about QPR's win against Reading on Friday night and Burnley with their remarkable form continuing away at Coventry. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast on Friday night in a meeting between 4th and 3rd. QPR beat Reading 2-1 thanks to a double from Lyndon Dykes. Some questionable refereeing here. QPR were denied a clear handball, clear as day in fact. I often don't understand the modern day handball rule, Justin, but unnatural position, hits him below the sleeve. Whatever criteria needs filling, I don't see how that cannot be given. Uh, There was also a challenge by Andy Carroll, which was very
2: reckless to yeah. say the least. Yeah, I I didn't think this would get brought up, but I thought that was a red card at the time of viewing. First first view of it anyway, I thought it was a red card. I thought Andy Carroll was a lucky boy. Um I really didn't I, I thought he kicked out later on in the game at um I can't remember who made the tackle on him now, but I thought he kicked out on him. Um but the opposition player was was booked for his challenge. Um so yeah, yeah, very very lucky boy Andy Carroll, I think. Hmm.
1: Fortunately, those two decisions didn't cost Rangers and they were good value for the win in the end. What a header that was from Lyndon Dykes for the first one just in it. may look like your bog standard header for the casual fan, but that is such a brilliantly guided diving header, into, it? And also scored the winner from the penalty spot later. on. And I, I think QPR will have every right to look at Lyndon Dykes for a bit of inspiration over the coming weeks. Because, look, they've lost Chris Willock a massive blow for them because he's such an important player so players like Dykes need to step up in his place don't they he's a guy to be honest I often forget that he's there because he's had a bit of a so-so time at Loftus Road hasn't he but we regularly see how good a player he is for Scotland and actually seems to play better for Scotland than he does QPR for some reason but Friday night was a great example of what he can do on his day so this is his time, isn't it? What better way to show how good he is now that he's probably going to get a run of games in the team in Willock's absence?
2: Yeah, I I rate Lyndon Dykes. I like him. Um, there's just something about big number nines that I like. And yeah, okay, he's not as clinical as as he could be. Um, but if you if you put crosses into the box for him, he's going to be a threat. And for as long as he's a threat, he's a useful asset to your team. Um, and that that ball in from Osman Kakai, I actually thought it was a. I don't think it was the best cross. It was obviously went to him, but. You know, there aren't many players who can pull off a stooping, diving header like that and guide it into the corner. Um, I mean, clearly they they'll know he can do it from training with him, but I don't think many players will be able to pull that type of header off. Um, so I don't think it was the the best across us from 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 Kakai. So it was, it was an even better finish from from Linden Dykes, and that's just what he's capable of. You put balls in the box for him, you'll get chances off, you'll uh, get shots off, you'll get headers off. Um, and that's going to create opportunities for for your teammates if they don't quite pull off and they bounce around the box he's caused a bit of havoc Um, and yeah he's going to be a useful player and as you say he's got to step up and score goals if he doesn't he's got to at least contribute and I think that front three was was very productive on Friday night Elias Chair, Dykes and Roberts they were very very good and caused Reading problems all night
1: well on paper It looks like a good front three, doesn't it? Um, So you'd expect those kind of results, but only time will tell whether they continue to produce. QPR joint top after this win, a brilliant runner from from Mick Beale's boys. Paul Ince said this result brought his side back down to earth. The thing is, you could have said that about any of Reading's other losses, but then they followed followed it back up (laughs) with a win every time. So I don't want to get too carried away, really, Justin. They still sit fifth in the table after their miraculous start. Justin, if I had to push you to predict right now where
2: Reading would finish, where would you say? (laughs) Uh, I would say right now, um, if everyone is as fit as they are now, I'd say mid-table, maybe lower mid-table. I just think, like I said, the squad depth isn't, isn't ideal. I know Reading fans will say that they've got enough depth. Um, but Paul Lynch has said himself they're using the same 13 14 players every week. Um, so if you're a manager saying you don't have the depth to to cope then perhaps you don't um so yeah I think I think lower mid-table right now is where I see them finishing because they were well beaten by QPR I know it was fairly close but they didn't offer too much um uh, too much going forwards against Sandy Yang and Joe Lumley pulled off a couple of good saves so it could have easily been three or four one to QPR if they were a bit more clinical.
1: I honestly think they could finish anywhere at this point. I think right now, (laughs) right now, right now, they're the most unpredictable team to place in the division, really, aren't they? My, I I don't, I don't see them finishing in the top six. I just don't think they're strong enough um, for that to be a realistic thing. Um, Top half would be a remarkable season. But even then, I think that's a bit of a stretch for this, this side. Mid-table, I mean, even mid-table would be a good season for Reading considering the Mm. summer of transfer restrictions and, um, you know, everyone's pre-season predictions of them. I'd say right now I'd be looking at probably somewhere around 18th, 19th, which I think Reading fans would be a bit disappointed by, but I would say that's still a fairly good season for Reading. But I just don't think their squad is strong enough or deep enough to realistically go much higher than that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, They've been miraculous so far, um, but I would be surprised if it continues for much longer, I've got to say. I still don't think a relegation battle is completely out of the question because we have seen teams in the past get dragged back into it Mm -hmm. um, from positions similar to Reading. But yeah, at the moment, honestly could... Just probably dartboard at league table and say, yep, that's as good a chance as them finishing anywhere else on the table. Uh, And Nathan goal gave Burnley a 1-0 win away at Coventry. A really... Well-managed game by Burnley, which is much needed considering they had let in late equalisers in three of their last five games prior to this. They didn't let Coventry have a single shot on target, which is actually quite impressive, isn't it, Justin? They sit fourth in the table, two points off top, having only lost once this season, Justin, with Sheffield United in a sticky patch. Norwich dropping points twice this week. Could Vinnie Company be eyeing up a chance to pounce at the top two?
2: Well, yeah, without a doubt, they've got the uh, squad depth to compete. Um, they don't have as many injuries as Sheffield United do. That's a big plus. They have more depth um, than QPR, who sit above them at the moment. And Norwich seemingly um, have ability to be their own worst enemy. And I think Burnley, Burnley fall into that category. Um, Similar to Norwich, they can shoot themselves in the foot hugely, um, and and they might have done the same here against Coventry. Um, Coventry in a in a bit of a rut at the moment, form-wise. Um, and they failed to build upon their their really good performance. They failed to get a second goal and kill the game. But nonetheless, it's, it's a good result. It's another clean sheet. Um, so, yeah, I think he will be eyeing up the top two at this point. It's a really good time, actually, um, because they're unbeaten. Sheffield United are in a bad spell, and Norwich last two games have wobbled a little bit. So or last three games, actually, they've wobbled a bit, even though they beat Blackpool last weekend. Um, so, yeah, I think he'll be licking his lips at the thought, but they need to be more consistent themselves. They they really do. They need to be um, more aggressive and more clinical as well.
1: Yeah, I've been very impressed with Burnley on many occasions. They dominate the vast majority of games. I mean, they've got the most average possession in the division by quite a distance, which is quite the feat considering they played under the previous manager who was not that way inclined and the fact <laughs> their current manager hasn't managed, managed in this country before so the fact they've only lost once is pretty remarkable the obvious reason why they're not top is they draw too many games and I think that's mm. down to a couple of things one conceding late goals which may be down to having a slightly inexperienced back line but also putting the games to bed I think the second is more difficult to fix but the answer could be in Scott Twine who's apparently back in training And may give Burnley that X factor in the final third that they could do with a bit more of. So to go back to the original question, I think Burnley aren't far off being one of the very best teams in the division. If they keep ticking over, then they'll continue to be in or around the top two. But I think they're capable of being more and being a very dangerous challenger if they just get that little bit extra, particularly in the final third, which I think has let them down a bit. Uh, this is Coventry's first loss in five. Not a great performance here. I think just simply outclassed at the end of the day, weren't they, Justin?
2: Yeah, and they've got several players out of form as well. You look at Matty Godin, for example, who had some really good purple patches last season. Um, he's only scored once at home this season. So it just goes to show that they're, they're struggling. They're a struggling side. Um, and we were hoping that they'd turn the corner, albeit they, they've, um, they've only won one of the last, won one of, won one of the last five. Um, but they were keeping clean sheets. They Proving hard to beat and hope, proving hard to uh, create against, um, and it wasn't really the same here. They were, um, they were out, ta- out tactics, tactically outdone by a company. I'm trying to make up words. Um, uh, you know, they. Bernie did a really good job of keeping Giocarez quiet, and they kept Ben Sheaf from um, making his mark on the game as well. Which meant Coventry couldn't turn over possession quickly. Um, and Burnley, yeah, stood up to it. So I just think, yeah, tactically outdone by by company and Burnley. Um, but not not the worst performance, but I think that the lack of chances being created will, will be a bit of a worry. Birmingham 3, Bristol
1: City 0. A very impressive performance from Birmingham City. Not something we've really said about them at all this season, Justin. They've had more all-right performances than bad performances, but we haven't seen this before, have we? Defender Austin Trusty scored 2. He's proving to be a trusty source of goals. Dion Sanderson got the other one. So all three of Birmingham's goals were scored by centre-halves. But I really like what I saw from Birmingham here, Justin.
2: Yeah, it's they're taking principles um, from every game. Um, when we praised them against Sheffield United last weekend, um, they were working hard, they were not very nice to play against and that's that's what they need to be because they've got the individual quality to get them over the line if you look at the set pieces for example yes they scored from set pieces but your deliveries have got to be on the money and Hannibal and Chong's deliveries were on the money they were brilliant brilliant um, you know, bits of individual play I guess um, and as I say they've got that quality um, and if they can get to, to January um, and be in a good position and they can build upon it this could be the Birmingham this This could be the year they turn it around where they don't get sucked into a relegation battle around March time. Um, But we won't count our chickens just yet. But really solid foundations, really good um, principles instilled into this team. It's just maintaining it through a period because we say this about Birmingham every season at this stage. They're always doing relatively okay. at this point in the season. It's usually around November, January. uh, It starts to crash and burn.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the exact reason why we won't get too carried away with uh, any wins that Birmingham have or any good performances rather. But taref Chong set up two goals and he has been a real game changer for me at Birmingham. Before he came in, Birmingham looked poor going forward, really poor. And it looked like creativity and scoring goals was going to be a real problem for them. But since he's given it, since he's come in, he has given them such a spark and players like him are actually very difficult to find at championship level, aren't they? Few clubs actually have them, that kind of X-factor kind of player, let alone a side like Birmingham, who many people are expecting to struggle this season, weren't they? But he makes things happen in the final third, and that's really given John Eustace a great attacking outlet. Plus, they only got him for something like one and a half million quid, which is still a (laughs) mind-blowingly good deal, Justin. I don't know how they pulled that off, but as long as he stays fit, He gives Birmingham a really strong chance of staying up because he can just create something out of nothing and is a really special player in that regard. Uh, I feel like this is an appropriate time to ask you this, Justin. I wanted to have a chat about the relegation battle because with Birmingham not being as hopeless as some people were expecting this season, Reading having their miraculous start, right now, if you had to predict who's going down, who would you say? (laughs) It's a big uh, question,
2: but... That, yeah, that's that's really difficult. Um, right now, I would say Hull. Um, really? Coventry, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The Hull are hopeless. Uh, I mean, we'll get onto them, but Hull are absolutely hopeless. Um, I would say, yeah, Hull. Um, I mean, Coventry, they're down there, seven points on the board, still got games to play, games in hand, um, but they're just not scoring enough goals, it seems. They're over-reliant on Giocarez. So for that reason alone, um, I'll chuck them in the mix. And that third team is very difficult. Um, I'm not going to say Bristol City because I tipped them for promotion two weeks ago. Um, So perhaps I'll lean towards uh, a Rotherham. Maybe a a big team. Maybe Borough or West Brom. Big budget team. Maybe. Maybe. I'm
1: very surprised, Justin. I definitely have Rotherham in there. I think even if they kept Paul Warren, their resources and just the overall quality of the squad would catch up with them. I, com- I am amazed you're completely disregarding Huddersfield from the equation because mm. despite winning today, I think their squad is just not good enough and we yet to really know how good a manager Mark Fotheringham actually is. So if he turns out to be a really good manager, he could get them over the line but there's still a lot on the line in that regard. I find the other position difficult to call. I think Birmingham will struggle if Chong gets an injury. Can't rule out the possibility of Reading have a total collapse – Hull, I just think, will be too strong. But I am a bit concerned about what's going on off the pitch at the moment. I think I'm looking at Blackpool and Wigan as two sides who have had some good results, but might just not have enough as the season goes on. But I wouldn't rule out a team I've not even mentioned getting dragged into it because I think it is quite actually open the relegation battle when many people thought it would be a quite shut and done case really I wouldn't completely rule out Bristol City Justin one point from five games now despite you saying just over a week ago you fancied them to be a good shout for the top
2: six yeah I think this is a good time to make a public apology (laughs) (laughs) Um, we've done this before I've tipped Stoke for promotion before they go on a disastrous run um, so I just want to apologise to the the people of Bristol um, and and supporters of Bristol City because I shouldn't have done that. I, I shouldn't have tipped your side for a, a, a concrete bet for a playoff place. Um, I do think the squad's too good going forwards, not to be in contention. But goodness me, liability at the back is horrendous. The goals they conceded against Birmingham were horrendous. Um, Nigel Pearson accuses players of being invisible, um, which I think is is going some way to describing just how bad the defending was. But nonetheless, I take full responsibility for it. It's my fault. I apologise.
1: I, I'm not sure the people of Bristol <laughs> will let you off, but I'm eyeing my fingers at someone else, Justin, as, as opposed to you.
0: <laughs>
1: You'd be lying if you said you thought it was a surprise that Bristol City have gone on this kind of run of form after previously going unbeaten in six. Ever since we started this podcast, Justin... This is what Bristol City do. They go on a great run of form and then follow it up with an equally poor run. This was happening under Lee Johnson, under Dean Holden for a short time. And now it continues to happen again and again under Nigel Pearson. And it's why I struggled to see Bristol City doing anything significant this season. Bristol City fans got very upset about me saying that at the start of the season. And so did you for that matter. Yeah, But the same problems... Still persist. Inconsistent form. And then the defence is leaky as anything. They've signed new players to try and fix them at the back. But they've conceded the second most goals in the division. And it doesn't seem to have got any better. Does it them at the back? So they've signed these new players to fix that. And it's not worked. If it's not the players, who is it then? You've got to look at the manager. Who, as I've said repeatedly, is the main reason why I struggle to get excited about them doing anything significant because I just don't particularly rate Nigel Pearson as a manager and I'm not you know claiming victory yet over whether I was right about (laughs) Bristol City because after this poor run of form Justin they probably will go on another good run of form and then follow it up with another poor run and they'll just keep doing that for the rest of time until something significant changes because that's just what Bristol City do and I, I just it's painstaking because there should be a club who challenging for you know the playoffs but I just don't see it being a realistic thing until there's significant change at the club Uh, let's talk Swansea who won for the fourth time on the bounce after beating Sunderland 2-1 these results just keep
2: on coming Justin yep and it was another good performance from Swansea Um, they created the better chances kept Alex Patterson busy Um, and it was probably a game where they could have have scored more Um, but when Swansea are in full flow and confident, they're such a delightful team um, to, to watch, and Swansea fans are lucky that Russell Martin is, is their manager. I think because obviously you go from Steve Cooper, who's a little bit more conservative and not as not as easy on the eye, um, and you, you bring in someone like Russell Martin and you stick with him. Uh, this is what you get. It pays dividends to stick by a manager. CC um, Watford. So it's yeah. As I say, they're, they're getting they're getting a lot out of the players as well. I think if you consider um, this game in isolation Ollie Cooper and Luke Kundle, um have they're young players they've had good games they've had average games poor games this season um, but the maturity they're showing to take on that mantle of, of being the creative element in this team especially in this game um, I think was, was yeah a massive show of faith and good coaching from Russell Martin and they, I think it was the first goal they scored Ryan Manning's ball for Matt Grimes Matt Grimes pulls it back it's beautiful beautiful Martin ball Martin Borlatt is absolutely finest. And I think, yeah, just a lot of superlatives for, for Swansea. And I'd say if if they get it right, they can be a very good team. Well, the Swansea
1: hierarchy have come in for a lot of criticism ever since they've been in the Championship, haven't they, for not spending enough money. But in, to to be fair to them, in terms of managerial appointments, they've got it spot on, on a regular basis, and that basis haven't they? Graham Potter, Steve Cooper, Russell Martin. That's a very good rap shoot, is of managers <laughs> you've appointed. So... We have been racking lyrically over Swansea recently. I'll try not to do it again. The most impressive thing is that they're winning games, despite Joel Piro being in a bit of a lull in form, aren't they? But wins against Hull, West Brom, Watford and Sunderland. All those teams have got their own circumstances for not playing particularly well right now. But still, Swansea continue to fly. They've got Burnley away next weekend, which is quite a tricky one. Sunderland now winless in four... Don't think it's any coincidence that this run's coincided with the absence of both strikers. It's turning out to be a real problem for them, isn't it? Jack Clark got on the score sheet to continue his amazing start to the season. The Mark Hudson revolution continues at Cardiff. They made it back-to-back wins by beating Wigan 3-1. This game was delayed because one of the goals was too tall, which is a new one. I've never heard of that one before, <laughs> Justin. Um, Callum Robinson scored again. He's now scored or assisted five goals in as many games as... Proven to be a really smart signing for Cardiff Inty. Great strike by Ryan Wintle too. So Mark Hudson, unbeaten as caretaker boss at Cardiff, Justin, after three games, I'd imagine
2: it's a safe bet that he'll get the job, empty. It probably will. I would um I would just hang fire a little bit. I just it's just a new manager bounce I think sometimes can can be can be a thing. Um a lot of people will try and discredit it, but just let's not avoid jumping into a, um, uh, this scenario especially when there are good coaches available I think if Cardiff by the time um, wait at least until the World Cup I know there are a lot of games to be played but wait in, at least until the World Cup um, and then make a decision I think that's the, the best route for them but you've still got to praise Mark Hudson I do think um, they would be in a similar situation now if Steve Morrison was still in charge but nonetheless they're creating more chances to be more clinical and they look an exciting threat on the counter-attack as well this game They were brilliant on the counter. Callum O'Dowd was fantastic. Shea Ojo, um, when he came on for Callum Robinson, was brilliant. Um, And when you think about it, they've still got the likes of Ruben Colwell, Isaac Davis and Abel Adams to uh, integrate into the team. They're they're a very good setup at Cardiff. And you might not like the business, but I've been very impressed with it. I've been more
1: impressed with the signings of Callum Robinson, etc. I think Cedric Kipre has been a fantastic uh, addition to the squad. Um, But, you know... Mark Hudson's doing a great job. It wouldn't surprise me if they kind of started to average out over yep. over the season if he were to get appointed, but we'll wait and see. For begin, their home form's a bit of a concern, isn't it? They're the only team yet to win in front of their own supporters, which is surprising considering how good their away form is. I don't really understand how you can have a contrast that big especially when it's that way round and it's the home mm-hmm. form that's a problem a good bit of news though was Charlie Wyke scored his first goal since suffering a cardiac arrest last November which was a brilliant sight to see this Sunday afternoon Huddersfield 2 Hall nil. Mark Fotheringham getting his first win as Huddersfield boss very quick
2: summary of this game please Justin Hull uh, were terrible at the back uh I- made reference to it earlier. Um, they are continuously hopeless. thought they turned a corner in midweek, um, but they've gone back to that same characterless, leaderless displays that they've been putting. The team's got no cohesion. Um, and and Huddersfield seemingly growing in confidence as well, which is a massive plus. Jordan Rhodes and Danny Ward look threatening all game. Michael helik was brilliant at the back. Um, and Etienne Kamara is proving once again to be looking, well, looking like an, an excellent talent coming through. He was very good in midfield. Matt Taylor's search for
1: a first win as Rotherham Boss continues after they were thumped 3-0 away at Blackburn. Blackburn's form reads, loss win, loss win, loss win, loss win. I mean, how can you even analyse that? They've got Wigan away on Tuesday night if anyone's uh, wondering whether that period of form will continue. Right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and the latest on Middlesbrough's search for a new manager. The BBC is reporting they're keen to speak to Michael Carrick about the job. The Sun claim that Carlos Corbran is his main rival to get it. Carrick, Justin?
2: I I guess. Um, I always get a little bit nervous with elite players becoming managers. Um, Although Carrick's gone in a much better direction than the likes of Lampard and Rooney. I think it mainly stems from yeah really bad hangover as a derby fan from those two being in charge of of my teams but actually Michael Carrick's got much better credentials than than the both of them um and if you are to to believe the reports he's looking to bring in Renny Moolensteen and Mike Feeling as well who are two excellent coaches at Man United um back in their their period of dominance so yeah um i, I would be i would be interested in it I, I, from that perspective but i think Those sorts of appointments always carry a little bit of risk. Um, But at this stage, Borough have tried everything. So why not try this one? I don't know. Yeah, I, I can get behind the appointment
1: of Carrick. I think I'm similar to you when you have these elite players becoming managers. It often goes more wrong than right. But I get the feeling that Carrick is actually a very good coach. He was always a very technically uh, tactically sound player wants it and uh, a great leader on the pitch as well so I could see him being a good manager the thing is with Middlesbrough things have gone so badly this season that going out there and getting a big name as manager I think you, they're probably not going to be in the conversation for promotion at this point are they unless there's mm-hmm. a ridiculous turnaround um, maybe a top six place at a push but If they're going to write this season off, quote-unquote, then why not give the job to a young, promising coach like Michael Carrick? Because he's been highly rated at Man U for quite some time. Yeah. May as well take a gamble on someone like him. Hull uh, whole cancelled negotiations with ex Olympiacos boss Pedro Martins. The club say they've been unable to reach a mutually agreeable position. He looked set to take over and was even in the stands for their win against Wigan in midweek. So not sure how that's gone so awry so quickly. Sheffield United boss Paul Heckingbottom has been named championship manager in a month for September. They won all three games last month, all of which were away from home. They also didn't concede a goal. I think they deserved that, didn't they?
2: Yeah, definitely, but that explains the poor run of form. I didn't, I didn't even put two and two together. It's the manager of the month curse. There we go. Of course, all will be well. Sheffield United just don't (laughs) win too many games. Of course,
1: yeah, that makes complete sense. Meanwhile, Luton striker Carlton Morris won Player of the Month after scoring four goals from four games. The Carlton Morris fan club ran by Justin Peach celebrating when they saw that. Uh, Mark Hudson has confirmed Cardiff defender Cedric Kipre doesn't have a recall option in his loan deal from West Prom. He's impressed in his time at the Cardiff City Stadium so far. And goalkeeper Oyan Nyland has signed for RB Leipzig. He was a backup keeper at Reading last season and is now at a Champions League team. Fair enough. Right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we have three questions given to the listeners on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question I posed to the listener was this... A fairly straightforward one, actually. Which of these teams is most likely to win the league? Burnley, Norwich, QPR or
2: Sheffield United? I just like going against the grain on some of these. I'm just going to say QPR. That is. (laughs) I threw QPR in there because I didn't want
1: QPR fans to get upset. (laughs) um, Even though I think think them winning the league would be... Uh, still a very unlikely proposition at this point. Sheffield United won. Oh, no, they didn't. Norwich won that poll. 38% said Norwich. 36% said Sheffield United, so quite tight. Burnley, 17%. QPR, 9%. Nice. Which of these managers would be the best choice to be the next Borough boss? Michael Carrick, Carlos Corbran, or
2: Rob Edwards? The thing is, I won't mind any of them. I, that's a very painful decision to make. Um, it's a bit like trying to choose your favourite ice cream. Um and you always make the wrong decision, so the one you regret. So yeah, yeah. I would go with the least person I, I would regret choosing, um, which doesn't make any sense. So, I'd, yeah, maybe Michael Carrick, yeah. I would go Corboran,
1: Carrick, then Edwards for me. 43% have said Corboran. 29% said Edwards. 28% said Carrick. And finally, <laughs> who's going to go bold first, Justin Orion?
2: Oh, it's you. You're thinning so quick. You are thinning I mean, quicker so are you, than. you Justin. No, 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 no. I, I think I, I mean, you I'm... talk about it a
1: lot, so it's clearly living rent free in your head. I'm embracing the possibility of being bold before
2: the age of 40. It's just a really good topic of conversation to bring up at um, events because everyone likes to talk about it, um, about male pattern boldness. But you're you're retreating from the front and a little bit thin on the back, whereas I'm just. Uh, I'm Hang just, on, yeah, I'm, I'm
1: not just... thin on the back. Ooh, I am. I'm. Uh, yeah, ooh. I'm... I'm very much relishing the possibility of having a Steve McLaren hair island very soon. Um but I I'm not I'm not going thin on the
2: back it's just at the front. I I would check
1: again. I have checked.
2: Uh, yeah, okay. I've got a thick I've got a thick crown on me. Um, I'm I'm good. I've I've got a healthy head of hair. You bits. are defending yourself so vigorously.
1: That he, <laughs> it's clearly living rent-free in your head. And just like that, he touches his hair just to yeah. make sure that uh... his receding hairline isn't on show. Fifty-eight percent of people said me. Forty-two percent said Justin. Ask him to put his hair back and see what he says. All <laughs> right, now it's time for this.
0: Hi, Simon Grayson Edge.
1: Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast and Connor Ashfield from West Brom Fan TV. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject and all you have got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the first eight championship managers to be sacked last season and Johnny would say Chris Hewton, that's one down, and Connor would say Mick McCarthy, that's another down. But if Justin would say Alan Kirbishley, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So a lot of talk on this podcast in the past couple of weeks has been about the future of Steve Bruce. Did you know he's managed nearly an eighth of clubs in the Football League? That's how much he's been around the block. But can you remember where he's been? I'm looking for you guys to name for me the last eight clubs that Steve Bruce has managed prior to West Brom. So we'll begin with you first. Connor, can you name a club that Steve Bruce has managed prior to West Brom? Villa. Absolutely. He was so loved at Villa that they gifted him a cabbage just before he <laughs> left in 2018. So that's one out of eight. Johnny, your Um
3: Newcastle.
1: Absolutely. Two years at St. James's Park,
2: where he remains the most popular man in the world. Justin Peach. In between his Villa and Newcastle spell was a short spell at Sheffield Wednesday, where he could have turned around their fortunes, but he chose not to and went to Newcastle.
1: Yeah, and that worked out well for everyone, didn't it? It was 18 <laughs> games in 2019 before leaving to go to Newcastle. So you've got the last three prior to West Brom. You've got five remaining. Connor? All City. Yeah, he was in charge for more than 200 games between 2012 and 2016, twice winning promotion with them. So that's the four most recent you've got now. Johnny? Wasn't he at Wigan? Yeah, had two spells at Wigan. Actually, they paid Wigan. a world record amount of compensation for him in 2007, <laughs> three million quid. Just in my laughing,
2: <laughs> I don't know. It's hilarious.
1: <laughs> I think we all know why you're laughing. Uh, just in your game, uh,
2: he was at Sunderland as well.
1: Yeah, I kind of forgot about his time at yeah. Sunderland, but he was there for more than two years before being mm. sacked in 2011. Um, but yes, that was his fifth <laughs> most recent job prior to West Brom. So you've got two remaining. Connor, it's your go again.
4: Um, Birmingham City.
1: Yep, spot on. That was his seventh most recent job. The club where we spent the most time at, actually. He was there for nearly six years before leaving in 2007. So you've got one remaining. Johnny, can you name that final club?
3: Trying to rack my brain, like just name like an like not to so say average club like a random club, um, who was like, like in that in that mix, you know, like of like the you wouldn't be too up, far wrong, Johnny. Good if you enough, just name a random club, good enough, for, good enough for the Premier League. No, well, just good enough for the Premier League, but mainly a Championship team. So before, before I'm assuming it's before Birmingham, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, the eighth
1: most recent club that you're trying to find. Uh, I
3: don't know Palace. Maybe.
1: He was in charge for 18 games in 2001 before resigning to go to Birmingham. (laughs) So you're absolutely spot on. Well done, boys. A fantastic showing here on Simon Grace and Tape Flake. Why are you two both
2: laughing? Everything everything Johnny described about a team not quite being good enough for the Premier League and then started to be a champion team, I was like, oh, it's Palace. Yeah, it's definitely Palace. Yeah, it's, it's it's like, palace.
3: Was, it was like, an era on it, like a Palace where like, they came up, didn't they? And they went straight back down. Yeah. And then they're just that part of that group of teams, aren't they? Like six yeah. or seven teams.
1: He was at Huddersfield and Sheffield United prior to Crystal Palace. So, yeah, you're you're pretty right in just ticking the boxes of teams who bounce around between the Premier League and Championship. But there we go. A fantastic showing on Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight and a fantastic showing on the second tier, if you don't mind me saying, uh, by everyone involved today. So, a thank you to our guest, Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown Podcast. Thank you for your time today.
3: Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it.
1: And a solid debut from Connor Ashfield from West Brom Fan TV. Thank you for your time today, Connor.
4: Yeah, cheers for having me on.
1: This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk all the midweek games. I mean, there's only two, but we'll talk about them anyway, as well as all the news in the Championship over the coming days. So I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.